0: Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where
1: we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Hey, all before we begin this episode, please be advised that we do discuss sensitive subject matter surrounding the 1994 Rwandan genocide and other ethnic conflicts. If you do not currently have the capacity to listen to the following conversation, we totally honor that voice, and we ask that you just reconnect with us next week or whenever you feel comfortable listening to this episode. Thank you so much.
2: Si nous avons des visiteurs, bien sûr, et aussi nous Le les donnons. <coughs> tu
3: veux,
1: je? tu veux? Okay. ok. Mary Lee, our podcast just got so fancy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: global. We're, we're global. You need your passport to listen. <laughs>
0: hi Thanks for listening to stages podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. We recorded it in the heart of Africa Kigali Rwanda over the summer. We did a few interviews during our visit to this country and this is the first of three. Rwanda's history is fairly well known and traumatic. in 1994 they experienced a genocide where almost 1 million people were murdered in a hundred days. But since then, Rwanda has become one of the greatest countries in all of Africa. It has set the record for the reduction of infant mortality. It has grown 8% every year for the last 20 years. It has the highest percentage of women in parliament in the world. And it is the cleanest, friendliest, safest country I think I have ever visited. Rwanda has grown. But more importantly, Rwanda has the capacity to teach the world about forgiveness. Somehow this country that was leveled has sprung up again through forgiveness and redemption. They made a conscious decision as a country to let go of hate and move forward as one. The group that we spoke to today is Mind Leaps. Mind Leaps works in developing nations. They find children that are at risk and have quit school and sometimes are living in the streets. They bring these kids into a dance class and teach them classical dance. And through this, they get them back into school. They provide school fees and tutors. And most of the time, these kids end up going off into higher education. What My Leaps accomplishes is truly remarkable. We had the pleasure of speaking with Rebecca Davis, the founder and executive director of My Leaps, Bashir Kerenzi, the program director of Rwanda, Matan Mamadonu, the program director of Guinea, Lamar Baylor, a trustee and artistic consultant, and Kervin Duluth-Boyd, the guest choreographer. The sound quality is not perfect because we were in a hotel room and there were interruptions, but we hope and trust that you will forgive that because you will find this interview so compelling and so moving. We thank you for listening. The company of Mind Leaps to Stage, please. Mind
1: Leaps to Stage. I have to say it's a bit of a mini miracle for those, everybody listening, we are meeting at a Marriott in Rwanda. And at the very last minute, we realized that in order to get on the property of the hotel, you needed a recent COVID test and negative results. We're also working under a bit of a curfew limit. So within an hour's time, everybody will have to head back for safety reasons. So I look to you all and say, how did this happen? But then I look at Rebecca and go, how does she come up with this idea and make that happen? So COVID tests... And curfews are kind of nothing to you. Compared to what you've done. You get an idea and you make it happen.
3: Uh, Absolutely. And I think uh, the the teamwork that's behind MindLeaps makes the pandemic seem like a learning opportunity for all of us. Mm. Um, The organization has had to pivot. We as artists, we as leaders have had to change. But in all of those hurdles that you face, you, you grab something new that you need for the future.
1: Right and so you're back in philly many years ago right yes you're a glorious ballerina you're traveling the world (laughs) and what sparks in you this idea of i feel the need to embark upon this beautiful endeavor which is going to change you know kids on the street getting them to dance and encouraging them to learn on all different levels how did that what was even the genesis of that
3: well, in Philadelphia, I was running a dance company named RDDC, and Lamar Baylor, who's here with us, was our rehearsal director and a fundamental player in, in building that vision too. And the mission of this organization was to see, how do we use dance to spark dialogue about social issues? Mm-hmm. I, I had always felt growing up that you go to school and you're asked to use your brain, then you go to dance class and you're asked to use your body. And you're mm-hmm. we told to like shut off your brain. And, and how come these things can't coexist, right? you know, so if if we can use the stage and if we can use our body to stimulate these conversations that are hard to have, maybe we can start to wrestle with some of these social issues. So that brought us to creating a work about Darfur, uh, the genocide that was happening in Sudan at the time before the two countries split apart. And uh, Lamar was our our lead dancer in in Mm -hmm. that work. And after we went through that process, creating Darfur, i kept getting the question from people wow i didn't know this was happening what can i do to help and i didn't have the answer Mm
0: -hmm. we had
3: succeeded in asking the question and we had provided no action Mm -hmm. uh and that started me on a new journey and I, i had the chance to travel to rwanda after that and when I got here, of course, like I thought, oh, I'll learn everything about genocide. I'll be able to answer these like audience members' questions i like so naive. And I realized coming here, like, first of all, I'm never going to understand genocide. Uh, and secondly, why are we so busy, you know, using the arts on stages to educate a certain class of people in America? If dance is so inside these youth, in these countries, on this continent, why don't we use all of those efforts and all of those resources here? And that slowly created the genesis of Mind Leaps.
1: Do you feel like empathy has always been a part of your expression?
3: Um, Social
1: justice has always been a part of your mind and body.
3: Yeah, yes, but not really in an altruistic way. <laughs> More so in a way that, like, how do we understand this world? When you bring people together through movement? Mm-hmm. you create this shared understanding, these shared emotions that then allow us to speak in a way that we don't speak to each other mm-hmm. when we're in these, like, official roles. Hmm. So can we create understanding? Can we find solutions in that space to find answers to these problems that we see around the world? And the arts just are such a powerful way of doing that.
0: We're talking about the trauma that's -hmm. been transmitted through the generations. So Mm -hmm. these children who didn't even know anything about the genocide, who weren't even here when the genocide happened, are literally experiencing the same traumas Mm-hmm. as the people who actually were here and experienced the, that. So, how does the dance help heal that and release the, that kind of trauma?
4: Uh, first of all, uh, our kids when they come, I mean, every human being, they have the, the basic needs to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. Mm-hmm. So they get that in the studio. And that is the best foundation to trust and connect with them. And then from there, they tell us what's wrong with uh, with them and what they want to do to their community. But they, the foundation is that dance class, those movement, that's where we build that trust and the connection,
3: yeah. And we, we didn't look into it, <laughs> uh, we really had, know these experiences in multiple countries in the beginning that allowed us to start to identify patterns so like if we teach movement in this way do the children exhibit the same behavior yes okay and if we teach it like this then what happens and we got to the point working from the Balkans to the US to Africa that you could actually teach these movements in a particular way and usually the behavior could be predicted. So then at that point, then we were very fortunate to team up with researchers from Mm -hmm. Drexel University and Carnegie Mellon University, and engineers from the private sector, and this group together created this pedagogy that that Bashir is speaking about. Mm -hmm. So it got to a codified stage, first through experimentation and building it from the communities where we work, and then secondly, with the addition of this um, academic Knowledge to mm-hmm. help us understand yeah. why we can see this happening, and how how did you end up becoming involved? You're the
0: guest choreographer for this year. Yes. So is that just in Rwanda or is that everywhere? Or?
5: Just in Rwanda, actually. For now. For now. <laughs> hey, 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 I am all for.
0: It I'm sounds going like going.
5: you're working from I'm my. I am all yeah, for huh. going everywhere, but Lamar is a dear friend of mine. Um, we met uh, when I back when I was living in New York. He showed me a video of a work that he made for the same festival back in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. And so when he was giving me the information about the. Um, kids from the refugee camp that he was working with and yeah. the work of Mind Leaps, I was just completely blown away. To your point about the kids and movement, it just is so, so natural. They hear the music and it's a celebration. It's, a, you know, it's, it's all of the feelings and it has been uh, quite the learning experience for me, not only watching them and, and their you know natural ability, but also just you know I, I trained in ballet and modern and jazz. And I danced for the Albany American Dance Theater for eleven years. Watching them adapt to you know to other codified forms mm. has been uh, inspiring for me as mm-hmm. an educator, just watching how they take to it and, and what I need to do different to help them understand. It's been mm-hmm. like. An incredible learning experience as an
6: as an educator. It has been amazing to see these children grow at every level of their life, not only artistically but intellectually.
0: And they're learning what it feels like to express themselves mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. in in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if it turns out they don't dance, they've mm-hmm. learned what self expression exactly. feels like, yes. and then mm-hmm. you carry that into the world with you wherever you go. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. so that it's such a gift mm-hmm. what you're giving them.
1: You spoke to their natural ability. Did you go ahead and pre choreograph something, I or did, did you nothing. no? I so you wanted myself. the the country to speak to you, the kids Listen, to speak to you, and you just asking, brought the people language. People were asking me
5: for titles, people were asking me for yeah. music, yeah. I was like, I got I'm
1: not there nothing. yet,
5: good. <laughs> I was like, until I meet these babies, I can't yeah. give you any kind of, I, I like, love that. I'm, I was like, I'm sorry but I can't give you anything <laughs> until I see a face. I think least. that's yeah. beautiful,
1: coming in with no preconceived notions, nothing. other than being open <laughs> and willing, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. and then seeing what their movement is, yep. and their natural ability, and building on yeah. that. And then building you know. on that. I also
3: read about the girls' program. Yeah, we have a, a girls' focus in all of the countries. We have a girls' program exactly in that verbiage in Maritania, in okay. West Africa. Um, this is... We, we were asked to, to find the country where we thought the girls needed the most assistance. They were the most vulnerable. Uh, and it was really easy for us. Uh, Bashir was involved in the decision to, to choose Maritania. And we have a, a wonderful local organization that we work with there called SOS Presedicateurs. But the situation in Maritini, especially, like, speaking as a female, is, is just so different from everywhere else I see it around the world. Uh, in what ways? If I, if I start with an example and then kind of back up to the generalizations, in all of the classes that all of us have taught all over the world, I have never taught a class where every girl in the class had their older brother or their father sitting on the side. Uh-huh. Because they're not allowed to be in that space unless they're, they male. A patriarchal out- or figure of, is there, is a chaperone the observing Aha. and supervising what mm. will happen. And at the end of class, then those girls cover up and change their look, and they walk with their father or their older brother, and they exit and they go straight home. And then they are let out the next day to come back into the dance class. Wow! For me, like the culture shock is extreme. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then to see the changes it's just like it's so crazy because it's so organic. Mm -hmm. You know, after weeks in these classes, like all of a sudden, like there's like no brothers and there's no fathers. They have agency. Agency. And everyone's like, what they're doing is a good thing. Our girls come back home and you know they're more excited to do this, they're more excited to do that. There's no like problem that's happening. So you Again, gain the trust
0: not only of the girls but, but of their of the families. Yeah. yeah. So
3: then none of these these guys come anymore when we teach, and now over time these girls have started to message back at home like, "Well, if I'm allowed to go to the dance class, why aren't I allowed to go to school?" Mm. And then they're like, "Well, there's no money." Well, so then when SOS and my niece steps and says like, "We'll pay the school fees if you let the kid go," it's like okay. there's no argument. There's no more. Yeah. Argument so now those girls are in school and gosh and all this of it remarkable. starts from just the fact like hey like what all of us are describing let's come in and like dance around and wave our arms yes but that community is on a trajectory that doesn't exist anywhere else i've seen in Wow, that's amazing
1: how many young women are in that program? We started with 120 now. That's a, I just think that's a, an amazing number to begin with because I would think there'd be such hesitancy to say, okay, I'll let you go even if I chaperone you, right? Or I would think they would say, I need to see the movement first to see if it is acceptable or modest yeah. enough. Or does every does and anyone ever approach you in that
3: regard? Totally. And, oh, okay. and our answer is exactly what you, you said already. It's like we say, just come see. Fine, if you shut us down after the first class, we will happily exit the country. Come and see what we do and then evaluate. Right. And, like, that transparency and, like, the, the genuine love that these trainers have for the kids who are in front of them just shines through.
1: Do you feel sometimes that the work that you guys produce or put out there is expected to sort of highlight the tragedy and the conflict and the genocide? Or do you try to fly and expand beyond that sort of, um, I'm going to say it's a presumed expectation, whether it be Guinea or Bosnia or
3: here in Rwanda? This is a wonderful question. Thank you. Um, Really comes from a very sophisticated understanding of the world. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I think I've been coached, I've learned from, from my peers like Martin and Bashir that, you know, these tra- tragedies, these genocides, these places of ethnic conflict and Ebola, you, these are not things to then make people feel sorry. For us. Mm-hmm. Like this is not why we should support these communities. It's not like who has it worse? Okay, let's go help them, right? Like actually, like if we looked really honestly at the entire world, we would all find in our own countries and in our own communities. Atrocities everywhere, mm-hmm. the same, <laughs> right? So I think that originally you know, as you heard from, from my story, I was really drawn to how do we work in post-genocide environments like Darfur, like Rwanda, like Bosnia and herzegovina But the more I, I had the chance to, to work with the leaders and the people in these communities, the more I realized, you know what, these are universal problems. <laughs> the fact that people can't get along mm-hmm. and the fact that kids don't have the chance to go to school or have the motivation to stay in school is not unique To Rwanda or Mm -hmm. Guinea or Bosnia-Herzegovina it's it's unique to the way that the people think right right? so I think I was tending that way really in the beginning um, and I think I've learned since then and MyNAPES is now like fully invested in this idea that these tragedies are not what holds people back and it's the power of the mindset and that agency allows us to combat all of that. It's more universal than we think. Do you have
1: a permanent home or center here in Rwanda?
3: Yeah, definitely. So Bashir runs the center now? Great. Yeah,
4: we have the center here in Kigari in Yamirambo, and then we also have the program in the refugee camps. Uh, I think the centers also, Martin has a center Martin in Guinea. Center yeah. in Guinea. Mm, mm.
1: Yes, so, and that is a permanent center in Guinea as well. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. How beautiful. So when you come, your term here is three weeks yes, unfortunately, what does, just three weeks. I know <laughs> <laughs> so it's you look at these children right off the bat primary and secondary school it does it end after secondary yes so it's like sometimes six to 18
3: what, what age range nine, are nine to 18 okay. sometimes the students are successful and receive scholarships to attend university after that the trust that gets built in my opinion, gets built when you stay in a community over time. Yes. The in and out, I think, just doesn't work for international development. That was going to be my
1: second question (laughs) with the three-week time. You know, what does that look like? When does the kid then start investing and saying, I trust you, I will now open up and show you and be more vulnerable? Because I have noticed here in Rwanda that the gaze is very deep. It's very strong, but the smiles are so bright and glorious. (laughs) But you know there's a deep well and a um, perhaps great joys but deep pains that go along with that. And when you move, at least for me, if I'm at a heightened emotional place, the tears will flow, like it surfaces. So in a three week period of time, what does one get to see not only through the choreography but the emotional sort of existence that these kids have from day one? Is it three hours a day that you are with them? Is it all day long that you are with them? What does that look like?
5: Um, the first uh, few days, I was with them from 9 to 4, and I have to say, I felt like, in hour one, on day one, they were with me. They're you know giving you mean? everything they they've were, had. They were invested, they were, you know, just, I think, you know, and I, I think that that a beautiful model has been built here where they've maybe had a few opportunities to work with, with guest artists. So, mm-hmm. um, in that sense, I'm fortunate because they're already kind of conditioned in a way to like, you know, to mm-hmm. be in the space. but. I will say that just just learning them like uh, literally from day one like it was like all eyes on the front and they were they were ready to work so Mm -hmm. I love
1: that yeah Mm -hmm. and in Guinea what does that program look like is it a um it's a similar I would think methodology and a similar program throughout the world tell us about how many students do you have in your program Mm
2: -hmm, thank you Uh, actually in the center we have 126 kids uh, who is in five groups, mm-hmm. and we have them eight to six PM, mm-hmm. and wow. Wow. yeah, and we teach them uh, two hours each group, mm-hmm. and after that we we facile en français. You can mix it. Oh, okay. You can explain. Please. Okay. <laughs> Merci. Et actuellement en Guinée nous avons. Eh,
1: I, I understood every word, but for our listeners, yeah. okay. I, had I understood
2: <laughs>
1: child.
0: Uh,
1: so,
4: yeah, in Guinea, so they have a center, and then he explained uh, kids are in five different groups. So they come and do it, they do two hour class. Mm-hmm and they do the follow-up, uh, like doing the home visits, and mm-hmm. they also have a, a program where they learn English, like giving them introduction to English. Mm.
3: There's another story I can tell that doesn't speak so much to my names as it does to maybe Rwanda and the question as to how the country is the way it is. It starts with a situation that we had in Maritania, um, in the country that... So Bashir is now managing Mauritania for us as well. And it's, it's kind of a, a shocking thing that happened on the ground. One of our dance teachers, a Mauritanian dance teacher, was walking home, and some of the girls from the dance class were, were a little bit ahead of him on the street, and the girls were attacked. Hmm. Um, somebody on the street, like literally, was attacking the girls, and our trainer intervened, and he was killed. Oh my God. So it hit all of us pretty hard. Um, and, you know, then what happened after is, is like kind of like a very traditional reaction, at least coming like from an American perspective, it's like, did you catch the guy, you know, was he put in jail, was he punished for doing this, right? And then, um, you know, so Bashir told me, he's like, okay, so they did find the person who attacked and that man said, please kill me now because I see that now I've killed a hero of the community.
0: Mm.
3: And Bashir, as a Rwandan, said to me, as an American, how come you didn't think about the killer? He deserves support and he deserves healing too. I I don't know how Rwandans think like that, but I know we need to learn that. (laughs) How did an entire generation decide
0: we are gonna swallow our anger and our sadness and our pain so that our children have a better life? And then actually do it and follow through.
4: Uh, for me, I think uh, being in this generation, between like uh, a little when I was when when it was genocide, so I think a lot of work has been done by our parents. So and then they gave us that flame of hope that we have to keep on. So I think that yeah, there is a. There is, uh, of course, the the government, the parents, and the community. So it's a lot of sacrifice from our parents, so we want to keep that. Honor them.
0: Honor that sacrifice. That's, That's really beautiful.
1: She's not sitting here with us, but I'd be remiss if maybe you could speak a little bit and you'd have to take some liberties in doing so. But Misty Copeland <laughs> came, yes? <Yeah. laughs> and she saw part of the program and is there a scholarship in your name for some of the students or she's sponsoring one of the students? Can you talk a little bit about what that is? And how she responded while she was well, here? Well,
6: I was fortunate enough to be invited to join Misty on her first trip here to Rwanda and to get her here in, Rw- in Rwanda and to see the human in her and just everything stripped down and just open to and willing to learn. My niece did a great job of informing the kids on who she was and and how um, you know important she was in the states and around the world to mm-hmm. so many people, but to have her come in every day and hug every child and even when we went to go a home visit yeah. to one of our kids who Literally lived on the street, lived underneath of, uh, it's not a bridge, like the water yeah. duct. And, you know, to just watch her hop down <laughs> in it and walk under there and see wow. where he lived, you know, mm. and it was amazing. Then to also to award him a scholarship, you know, like uh, to go to boarding school that year was really, really amazing. And to know that she has committed herself to this organization and the work and to come back a second time yeah. and still be a part of the organization is has it been speaks amazing. volumes. Amazing, you know, yes. speaks to her character and and her belief in this organization.
3: To see Misty go through the experience that I think all of us have as non Rwandans when we come to this country, and you know, so you see it on like one level, and you're like, okay, it's such a clean city, it's so beautiful, and then you start to learn about the history of 1994, mm-hmm. and then you start to see, you know, how these kids just like fight against these obstacles. And to hear her start to ask questions, to try to, like, put together the story in her head. Like, well, why is that kid not going to school? Well, is the mother acting like that because she's a survivor? Mm -hmm. Right? And you hear Misty try to understand, like, how does this society get to where it is? Which is the same question that, that you're asking. Um, I think is, you know, the universality of Rwanda and also the humility and beautiful beauty of Misty. There is a a moment that's so strong in, in my memory from her second trip, which you know says so many things in like one image. Where she had been teaching our kids, you know, a, a part of a dance class. Okay, that was of course incredible. <laughs> and then you know, then it's like, okay, the kids turn to teach her, right? And so mm-hmm. she's learning the moves. And then it's the end of class, like cool down, right? So you know, it's like nice slow song at the end, you know, where okay, you know, we become calm. And one of the kids was at the front of the room, so he just started leading the movement. And Misty just kind of fell into line with the rest of the class and the Rowan and teachers who were in class. And everybody's just doing these movements that this child is leading. And and like that tells you that equality is possible. Mm -hmm. Like at that moment in time, everyone is equal in this space. And a
1: lot of these kids that go through the program seem to maybe come back and then volunteer their time or assist. That's got to be an amazing thing to see.
3: It, it's, it's amazing for us and it, it's what it's my vision for the organization going forward because every time that's happened the quality of our work has improved by leaps and bounds. When somebody who's come through this methodology and feels the change, then becomes the teacher. You're building like a a lineage. Lasting change. Yeah, that everybody now has this mindset, right? So, I mean, like my dream of course is like one day, instead of the, the five of us sitting here, that you're talking to students from my niece, who all have the positions that we have right mm-hmm. now, whether or not that's as a choreographer in the United yeah. States I mean, yeah. or a country director or an executive director or a board member, but it's all grown from the inside. I
0: think in general, people do want to do good in the world.
3: So they give to a lot of these NGO
0: organizations, but many NGO organizations don't actually get the funds to the program because solving the problem makes them lose their job mm. and so p- so, mm. so keeping poverty cycle refugee camps exactly is <laughs> job security is job security mm. and they have their nice land cruisers and their nice apartments and their nice job but they're not solving any problems this is so apparent in haiti and so yeah. many places right mm-hmm. and and even mm-hmm. people who want to donate their clothes to, you know, Goodwill, oh, now my clothes will go to But what they don't realize is you give your clothes to Goodwill. It doesn't go directly to a child in a school in Africa. It goes to a middleman who sells it to someone, who then sells it cheaper than the local people can manufacture their, mm-hmm. their own clothing. Yes. So you're actually putting the local seamstress out of business mm-hmm. by your big heart donating your clothes to Goodwill. So people, I really don't think, understand the levels that go on there. And so that's when you fine. do find someone like you, you're in the country, you're working with actual people who live in the country, yeah. and then you're bringing children that you're teaching up to
3: take your job. That's the kind of
0: place you want to support, because that's the real thing.
3: If you build an organization like that, just as, as you've described, that organization will continue forever. Or it, it will change to the needs of the communities that it's serving in an appropriate way. Right. So that can only happen if the people who are making the decisions come from the community itself. We're yeah. learning
1: that a lot here in Rwanda. Yeah. And whether it's a small village then they decide that pig rearing is what's going to help their community. And over here, an agricultural investment is gonna help that community. That is where these people are soaring. Yeah, Because they understand what they need as a group, right? Right. Right. Right.
0: And they have a system of democracy within where they vote for what they wanna do in these communities.
1: Uh, Is most of the funding from grants or private donors or what does that look like to keep all of those working parts going? Because we know regardless (laughs) of what there is, the (laughs) the dark side, right? But that's the business portion that does, you've got to talk about it because this is an extraordinary program that just doesn't go poof
3: and it happens, right? right? Yeah, when you're talking about like, you know, decades of change or decades of support to change communities, it can't be, as we say, like this in and out approach and the funding can't line up that way either. Um, Yeah, it's predominantly foundation and grant funded right now. Uh, and our strong push is to change it more to private funding, as, as I'm sure you're aware and your, your listeners are aware. You know, foundation funding is very much tied to check boxes, right? Mm-hmm. This many kids in these outcomes, close out the grant, give your report. Mm-hmm. But if we can connect with donors who are interested in. The transformation of youth and communities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we would have more flexibility to to support our people on the ground in the way that they need support and what would you say to those listeners that might have a pocket full of cash yeah.
1: <laughs> what you are witnessing and the magnitude with which you feel there is you know movement yeah. in these villages in these city centers in the culture itself. Can you give us, you know, a couple of sentences that might whew, inspire them to oh,
3: open up their pockets? Absolutely, <laughs> and thank we'll you. also
1: say it in French.
3: <laughs> 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 <And Kinyomanda laughs> that's Albanian. right. That's right. We're not too proud. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. i I think a lot of people want to do good in the world, and you know, it's not so easy to do good the right way. Right. So if you want to invest your dollars because you want the world to be a better place and change fundamentally even after those dollars are gone, Mm -hmm. please look at organizations like Mind Leaps that are growing from the ground up with people who live in these communities running these programs and recognize that those dollars will be used with the passion and love that each of those dollars can change a life. Mm And now it's time for
0: the five questions. If you
1: could go back and speak to your 20-year-old self, Mm. what would you tell him?
5: Oh, I would say uh, you need to have more grace with yourself.
0: Do you have a good luck charm or ritual that you do before you perform or before you do something important? um, Something Mm. that you hold on to that centers you?
6: Yes, I call my mom. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those that are closest to you, one thing that they do not know and that would mm-hmm. surprise them to find out about you.
3: Oui, um, uh, quelque chose que tu le monde, um, ta famille, tes amis, ils ne connaissent pas ça à propos de toi. Quelque chose, c'est ça, ça une surprise pour, pour tous tes amis, toute ta famille. Mm. <laughs> That's okay, Martin. It's no I think judgment, I know what it no is. No judgment. I no, think no he no actually judgment. speaks English
0: perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: uh, the thing is, before I came my lips, I was very angry. Mm. Mm. And now they see the change in, in my family's with my friends and with my colleagues so that is the things yeah Mm -hmm. incredible
0: yes if you Mm -hmm. were a nail polish color (laughs) what color would you be and what would the name be what cheeky little name (laughs) would it be come on now
4: we like
0: i need to translate this one into yeah
4: (laughs) okay like the color yes
0: the nail polish? Mm-hmm. What color would you be? What color
4: would you be? Okay, I would say blue.
0: Blue! blue. <laughs> love it. Love it.
4: Why? Yes. Why blue? Well, I love blue. <laughs> and when I look at the sky, it's blue. When I look at the water, it's blue. So. And
0: part of the Rwandan flag is
1: blue? The blue, yeah. <laughs> Good. If you could have any special skill, it could be supernatural, it could be any other skill and be so proficient at it, what would it be?
3: Languages. Mm.
1: Languages,
3: yeah. okay. okay. Same. Uh, it's like, I, I mean, in my work, I've kind of picked up some for the countries where we work, but I see that there's such a deeper level of connection, mm-hmm. especially that you can have with the children mm-hmm. when there's mm-hmm. no language barrier.
0: Well, you guys, this has been amazing. Thank you. And the only word I know in Rwandan is,
1: Maracose.
0: I shall say thank you in Rwanda. Maracose Chan. <laughs> Maracose Chan. <you>. <laughs> <Maracose. laughs> <Maracose. laughs> Merci, Merci beaucoup. Thank you oh, very much. And in Moscow, go. Yeah, thanks a yeah.
4: lot, man. <laughs> that was all right. That was a wicked, a wicked interview. <laughs> it was wicked awesome. That was
0: wicked awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Get
1: the hell out of here. Maracose. Thank you all so thank very you. much. Thank And now, here's what struck a chord with us. Mary Lee, I am not even sure where to begin for what struck a chord with us. So we are, we're out of Africa, we're back home. I'm still processing what that meeting was, what that trip was. I can't imagine um, the atrocities that they lived through and are moving through and moving forward with such beauty and grace. But then I specifically just zoom in on our visit to mind Leaps because we were so moved that we asked if um, you know after being tested and if we could visit their facilities. And we drove along rural streets, and we turned right and the gates opened. And there was the most beautiful energy and students um, studying outside uh, because of COVID, wanting to get that airspace. And over there was a, a covered sort of dance studio, and they were dancing to music. There were lunches being prepared for the students. Everyone was walking around with such joy and purpose. And in that little microcosm, I thought, my goodness, if we all could just take note and see how this is functioning and see how everybody is working together for the good of people, mind, body, and spirit, how healthy this entire world would be. And I know it's very easy to say that, but it's not easy. It's what this country has gone through and continues to work through is not easy. You cannot minimize what they went through in 1994 and sit there 27 years later and bear witness and say, it's easy. It's so unbelievably hard to which I can't even fathom, but if you can work through all of that pain and anger and betrayal that we as humans can impress upon each other and still walk forward in forgiveness oh my gosh what you find on the other side is something i can't i can't even articulate
0: i've spent a lot of time there as you know and one of the things that i love about the way that they decided to move forward was it was very complicated right because all the perpetrators had run over to other countries to escape so President Kagame, who's the current president of Rwanda, wanted to invite all of the perpetrators to come back to the country and participate in the rebuilding of the nation. The, the international community was saying, well, they all need to go on trial. They all need fair trials. And he said, well, OK, a couple of things. First of all, who's going to pay for all these fair trials? Second of all, there can't be fair trials because any people that were judges, lawyers are all that, that were not Hutu are killed. So they're gonna be judged by their own people that contributed, so we can't do that. So he went back and he thought about um, how they held trials in his grandfather's day. And they had this custom called gachacha, which means grass. The community, when someone in the community did something wrong, they would come as a community, they'd all sit on the grass. And the person who had done the wrong stands up and explains what he did, why he did it, why he's sorry, who he hurt, and how he's going to make amends. And if the people as a group decide that he is truly sorry or she is truly sorry, they give them a way to redeem themselves. That The community would say, okay, you need to rebuild this widow's house with her, rebuild you know her farm and get her a livelihood again. And- not only did he stay in the community, but he had to work side by side with the people whose lives he destroyed. And it brought them together in such a way. And this happened throughout all the communities in Rwanda, all over the country. And it well, brought that, them together again.
1: Well, that brings us back to the conversation in that hotel room where, you know, they're speaking of the, um, the young dancers and then their instructor who was killed, and it was brought to our attention. Well, yeah, he killed another human, but what about that killer's life? What is that person's story? Now, again, you can't just give forgiveness and grace if they're going about and and harming everyone through Out their lives throughout their days, if there just is, um,
0: if they're not asking for the forgiveness, if they're not willing to accept their actions, if there's not
1: reconciliation there, then yes, you need to be put away. But I, I, it's hard for me to even finish sentences with this because I can't wrap my brain around it. There was another thing that was said to us when we were in Rwanda. I believe I was at the genocide museum. And we were walking through the museum and beyond the chill-inducing, look down and know that you are standing on the graves of 250,000 people. Mm -hmm. And we all felt the weight of that. And then they said, hold on to this sentence. That again, there's, to use the term fine line, I think they said something else, but there's a fine line between diversity and division. And we as a people have to be smart enough to know the difference and to recognize when diversity is becoming division Mm because with division comes other and with other comes the violence. And I was like, and that has sat with me since I've, I left the country. I don't think I'll ever forget that moment and those, those words. And now I'm paying real close attention to where we are here. In yeah. the States. Yeah. And I just refuse to make anybody another.
0: The other thing that really stuck out with me in this interview was when they talked about Misty Copeland and the experience that she had when she was leading the class and then the child came forward. When Rebecca said, in that space at this time, we were all on the same level, we were all one. Boy.
1: And that is what they're doing there with Mind Leaps. They're taking young people in a very uh, difficult situation, vulnerable, vulnerable individuals, and giving them a future. And um, with education and art and community, they are far less likely to live in hate. And it's a beautiful thing
0: to witness. So if you want to support My Leaps, we have their link in the bio. And uh, we hope that you will because they're an amazing organization and we'll go back and visit them again and check Absolutely. up on
1: them. Absolutely. so if this
0: episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.